This season is sponsored by Sanofi Canada. Hello, hello. We are on the season of type 2 inflammatory conditions. I'm joined by Brianne Hurdle again today, and I'm going to give her a high five. Um, high five. <laughs> yeah, so pun intended, uh, tongue in cheek. Um, we're going to be talking about chronic spontaneous urticaria. Urticaria means hives. Awesome, Dr. Lee. I'm actually quite interested um, in this topic because um, to the average person, uh, uh, urticaria, we just would know as hives. I, to be completely honest, didn't even know what that was until I had to, I was, I was doing some research and looking it up. But um, okay, so my first question in regards to urticaria, what causes this and hives and swelling? Okay, so urticaria in general is a very common defense mechanism a hundred people out of a hundred or a hundred percent of people will get it and you get it you get a hive every single time you get a mosquito bite or an insect sting so this is normally designed to protect your skin from outside invaders like mosquitoes parasites ticks things that are burrowing inside of you so it's kind of like homeland security or border patrol of your body and it's constantly detecting things that may be trying to invade your body. So, um, yeah, you can think of it as like the border security agent patting down things. Now, then we get to other situations like acute hives where you get hives more days than not uh, or limiting to less than six weeks. We call that by definition acute. And if it's more days than not and more than six weeks, we call that chronic. Yeah, uh, that's one of my questions, actually. That's very good. So chronic, yeah, I was just going to say, what would be what would be the de definition of chronic? So basically you said um, anything after six weeks would be considered chronic and before six weeks is acute. That's right. Okay. And it's, it's a bit of an arbitrary like line in the sand. Uh, you know, you'll see my Zoom background with sand, sandy beach there, but which I wish I were. But when you <laughs> are looking at hives, um, we just kind of make this artificial distinction of six weeks, like we do in a lot of conditions. So, you know, for sinus mm -hmm. things that we talked about last uh, week, we're talking about, you know, is it acute or chronic based on the duration? So here we use six instead of eight, like in chronic um, sinusitis, we use six for chronic urticaria. And we do this because the causes that cause acute urticaria are very different from the causes that cause chronic urticaria. But of course, acute urticaria can lead on to chronic urticaria, and that's always a possibility. But acute urticaria is generally caused by things that are external or extrinsic to, to the person. And chronic, it turns out, are usually from intrinsic, so something going on within your body that's leading it to persist for a long time. More of that secondary inflammation, for example, that would be- Yeah, more of the type two chronic. inflammatory right. process. And a dysregulation, again, a lot of these problems that we've been talking about this season, they're not, they, they only become pathologic because something that's meant to help us is chronically turned on or chronically activated. So there's no, like, you know, some, there's nothing to stop it. So it just keeps kind of going and going and going, you know, causing both a nuisance and uh, problems for people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what, what are some examples that would cause acute urticaria? Yeah. So. The most common one that I see, and by the way, this is so common, like if I take 100 people off the street, 15 to 18 of them will experience acute urticaria at some point in their life, okay? okay? So this is not, you know, more than just a mosquito bite, that's a triggered urticarial reaction. Um, the most common thing I see in my practice are hives following some kind of infection. And oh. in women, you know, again, this differs from study to study, but in my practice personally, because I check for it, um, urinary tract infections are an often common trigger for hives, uh, but it could really be any infection. So, you know, it could be the common cold, people are freaking out because it happens post COVID, but a lot of respiratory viruses can cause uh, hives as well. Um, and it's kind of like the analogy I explained to people is, if you imagine your body as a country, you know, the border is your skin or, you know, anywhere there's yeah. contact with the outside world. If you have, you know, a bit of a terrorist attack or something, your Homeland Security or CBSA or Border Patrol, whatever, it goes into a hypervigilant mode. You know, mm -hmm. it just 
always remember the time where the border agent or, you know, the one who was doing the security metal detector screening was yelling at my, my son. He was only two years old at the time because he just couldn't wait in line and just started to go walk back and through. And, you know, she's yelling at me, you know, excuse me, sir. It's, it's, you know, that's kind of what your immune system is doing. You know, there's no right. way my parents can be a terrorist, but it's right. kind of too hypervigilant. Yeah. yeah. Well, hypervigilance, that's a big thing in mental health too. So, um, okay. So it's hypervigilant. So, but okay. So this is more like external, is this more like food allergies, would you say, or yeah, like so you're food- talking about like bugs or mosquitoes. And I actually have no Absolutely. idea that Absolutely. urinary tract infections could cause hives. I've yeah. never heard that. So, wow. well, I talked about my background there. So sometimes people go on tropical vacations or they go camping and they get a lot of bug bites. Okay. Mm. And you know, and you, your body, you want your body to react. So a lot of the things that are happening when your skin gets raised, red and itchy, it's to alert your body. Hey, you better go scratch there. There's something going on there. I want you to scratch it. The swelling is because your body cells, these things called mast cells, they release mediators, allowing the blood vessels to get leaky to white blood cells. So they just kind of come mm-hmm. in, and totally try to wall off or deal with whatever's going on. So that's a normal response. But when you get a lot of these bites, it's often also a trigger for acute urticaria as well, because your body's like, oh my God, I have to be like super vigilant in this environment, or, you know, wherever you want camping, you know, your body's immune system doesn't know where you are physically, whether you're in your mm-hmm. glass tower at home or outside in the bush having, having a camp uh, weekend. So it goes into this hypervigilant state. Other things, and this is, um, you know, well-known, but again, difficult to prove for both acute and chronic is Psychological stress, so often a very stressful event for a pay, uh, person, will trigger hives. And I see that as an involuntary stress response. So sometimes, uh, you know, if you're prone to uh, anxiety disorder, and we touched this on uh, other seasons, like the neuroinflammatory model of inflammation as well. If you are someone who's anxious to begin with and have had some acute traumatic event uh, or acute stress event, like a death of a spouse or, or, or a family member, um, you know, this can sometimes trigger hives as well. Other things um, which are very common and, and somewhat external um, is, you know, if you're prone to taking a lot of drugs like Advil, aspirin, we call non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, um, by the virtue of how they work with something called cyclooxygenase uh, inhibition, uh, it sets up the condition for more hives and more likely to experience hives. So, so, you know, this can be also acute and chronic. Usually when patients see a doctor, doctors will pick up on this, Hey, you're taking a ton of naproxen or right. maybe we should cut that right. down. And, and this is a, you know, a dose dependent chronic side effect of this medication. So that's another common cause of acute um, insect stings, food allergies, uh, these all can trigger acute urticaria as well. So what about pollen, uh, pollen um, and like airborne stuff? Pollen airborne is possible. And people have reported studies epidemiologically that they tend to experience more episodes like this and angioedema. That's the swelling of your deep mm-hmm. tongue uh, in their peak pollen seasons. It, it's, it's, you know, some people are skeptical, including myself, because you generally should have some respiratory symptom as well. So you're breathing it in. Uh, if it's just the skin without mm-hmm. any nose or lung symptoms, it's probably not the pollen. But if okay. it's affecting both your breathing and your nose or in your eyes, and it's going to the skin, then it could be uh, sort of a general activation of the immune system from allergies. Okay. And what kind of common foods would cause hives? Would it be shellfish or peanuts or fruit? Because it's histamine. I love this question because it can be directly a food allergy. Let's say you have a unknown or undiagnosed food allergy and you're getting hives and you don't know because you're not really putting two and two together. Most food allergies will cause symptoms in the mouth, but some do not though, because some things require a breakdown of the food. So, you know, for example, some people have reported now a lot of cases, especially in the U.S., uh, with the Lone Star tick, uh, hives or you know, allergic reaction-like symptoms occurring four to six hours after um, they're sleeping. And people would always think, you know, this is impossible. It can't be a food allergy, but it turns out it is because it requires you to actually ingest and digest the food uh, because it's something mm-hmm. called molecular mimicry allergy that's occurring. So it's not an immediate allergy in the traditional textbook sense. So that's when people get um, bitten by a lone star tick 
and your body forms antibodies, the allergy antibody IgE, which is normally used to neutralize things like parasites and big bug uh, antigens. So when you eat red meat, it looks similar to this little antigen that's in red meat. So then you also have an allergic reaction to that when you eat it. So that's, that's a bit of an exception, but uh, that can occur. Most people with foods, though, do pick up on it, though, because there are some mouth symptoms in most cases of allergies. It's like this. Um, other things are side effects of foods, too. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't know if people think about, uh, <laughs> for example, alcohol as a food, but it's something you ingest. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I always remind people um, it's a poison if you take it at a high enough dose. But one of the effects of alcohol is that it really agitates these cells uh, called the mast cells. Mm -hmm. They're very sensitive to little small osmolality changes in your blood. So they will actually, you know, act, create hives, especially if you're a chronic alcohol, uh, you know, abuser, you're more likely okay. to get hives. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Strawberries, I think I, we talked about in a, a prior season. They contain lectins. If you eat a lot of strawberries, they tend to cause swelling and hives as well. And again, these are more side effects rather than a direct allergy to the to the food. Yeah, my little sister was um, allergic to strawberries, and it would be hives. That's what she would she would break out in hives. But she grew out of it. She was little, okay. probably about okay. two. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. We I think we addressed this before as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Strawberry yeah. allergy is a bit rare, but. Um, it, you know, a lot of people do get the, the side effect of the strawberry kind of, if you mm -hmm. think of the strawberry as a drug. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, interesting. Yeah. What would be the, the, the most peculiar case you've seen of somebody break out in hives? And did you figure out what it was that they were reacting to something that would be not common? So people always laugh. Okay. Because, and you know, people always think this is a fake thing, but you can actually be allergic to your partner's semen. Okay. So oh, okay. seminal fluid allergy, uh, it does exist. I diagnose this, you know, once a year or so. It's it's pretty rare, and it's it's a you know kind of an embarrassing kind of uh, tricky diagnosis to make because you actually need to bring bring in your partner's semen. Uh, yeah. Do the testing to it, and it, and it does actually occur. And so, is it hives that they break that like I guess their female <laughs> yeah, partner that their partner would break out in? Oh, so if wow. you're lucky, it's just hives, but it can be anaphylactic uh, as well to your own partner's. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, how horrible! That's very yeah. It is kind of strange. There's another one that's unique in the reproductive world as well, and uh, you know, in Toronto where I practice, I've become the de facto default person to test for this because, um, oh. Sorry about that. My uh, screen okay. on. Uh, you know, this computer's new here. I'm in my. Oh, okay. I, I got to no turn worries. off the stupid. Uh, oh no! You know what? It it was this like automatic update thing. God, just turn it off. Sorry, I'm gonna have to splice this out. Okay, okay. you know what? I can just splice it out after post production okay. here. Um, oh, that's so annoying. Okay. Um, where are we? Oh yeah. So in Toronto, where I practice, um, yeah. I become the de facto uh, assessment person for something called autoimmune progesterone-induced dermatitis. But sometimes it's actually urticarian, not uh, dermatitis. So what I mean by this is some women will reliably experience hives about a week before their menstrual cycle, and will, it'll happen every month mm -hmm. for a few days roughly corresponding to their progesterone. And so what's happened to these women is that their body has decided to mount an allergic response to their own body's progesterone, which only mm. peaks at certain parts of the month. So very strange, but that's something uh, else that can, uh, you know. Uh, you and can that, that would background. fall under the category of autoimmune. Yeah, and it's an autoimmune predicarium. Yeah, yeah, and so, that would be chronic. Yes, that would be right. chronic. Uh, but technically, it would, if I'm using the technical definition, it would actually fall in acute. And I, that's why I bring it up now, because oh, it's not occurring most days, every week and week for six consecutive right. weeks. Yeah. So it's, it would be technically acute intermittent urticaria. And again, if you, you know, if you see someone who's never heard of this or have, hasn't really thought of this or doesn't ask you the question about your menstrual cycle, it's not something you'll pick up. Yeah. And just, just out of curiosity, let's go back to the, the seminal fluid for a minute. Cause that's so interesting. What is it that your body's responding to, or that you're actually allergic to in the, in, 
in the semen? Like, what would that be? Yeah. So sometimes it's like a prostate antigen. So okay. you know, men produce uh, different proteins uh, to try to neutralize the pH uh, of, uh, of the uh, vagina and uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's the proteins on the sperm itself. And this can be unique to, to the partner, actually. So, you know, you may be reacting to your partner, but maybe someone else's semen you won't actually react to uh, because they're, it's something unique to their sperm. So, you know, each individual is a kind of has an individual reaction. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard that. That's wow, that's fascinating. Okay, so this brings me on to a question because I know a few people who have lupus. Okay. And they often have hives that they will break out in from cold water. What is it no. about urticaria that can trigger an immune response to water? I love this question because had you talked to me before like 2015, no one could give you the right answer. But now we know why this is the case. And it's not just water, but they're more prone to hives in general. Okay, So uh, we noticed that lupus patients are one of the, what we call the common comorbidities of patients who experience chronic urticaria. So mm. what we know now is that the vast majority of chronic urticaria is actually some form of autoimmune reaction. Uh, mm. And, I, you know, when patients are, you know, they don't like the diagnosis, I try to remind them this was the this is the least deadly auto, autoimmune condition you can have. It has no complications. It can't really kill you. It just annoys you. Okay? Yes. So what we know um, <laughs> in lupus patients, they start developing antibodies to all sorts of things within their own cells. So mm-hmm. you know, anti-nuclear antibody is one of them. There's many other anti, uh, you know, self antibodies that they generate in the setting of having lupus. So before 2011, we actually didn't have the technical capability of really distinguishing the main antibody, IgG, from the allergy mm-hmm. antibody, IgE, because they're very, very similar in molecular size. Okay, mm-hmm. So the, the major medical breakthrough at that time was that we had technology to be able to detect the true difference. Is this IgG or is this IgE, the allergy antibody, or the one that, you know, activates mast cells. So once we had this technology developed, we noticed that people with autoimmunity, not only do they have the IgG antibodies to things like ANA, for example, they also have an allergy antibody to their own proteins. So the IgE. Mm. So a lot of people with things like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, um, you know, we look at autoimmune thyroid conditions. That's how, that was the first groundbreaking paper in 2011, looking at thyroid peroxidized and, uh, enzyme and having an allergy antibody to your own thyroid pr- proteins. Now that we know this, and we think that patients are de facto having an allergic reaction to themselves. And that's what's mm-hmm. causing the chronic urticaria uh, to last for years and years and years. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, because I know a few people who've got lupus and they struggle with hives, urticaria. Like yeah, and, and then the cold thing is interesting too. So um, just like all the proteins um, everywhere, like, you know, we cook proteins all the time and when we change the temperature of a protein, the configuration changes. So mm. the conformational structure changes. So sometimes when people get exposed to cold, and people can be allergic to the cold, we call this cold urticaria, or that can be a trigger for hives. Mm-hmm. It's because there are some proteins that change configuration. Uh, mm-hmm. So we see this in other autoimmune conditions. So sometimes mm-hmm. people with uh, hepatitis will de- you know, develop things like cryoglobulinemia or some problem with the liver, abnormal proteins. And sometimes these are temperature sensitive or in the cold will change your configuration and your body will develop antibodies to the changed configuration protein only so that's it's kind of uh, interesting that we have these techniques to detect these things now so this is what would trigger cold water and for yeah. to break out in hives exactly the, the cold yeah. water you know is maybe creating proteins that your body doesn't normally see and uh, you know, yeah when we think about immunity it's things that your body if it sees it episodically like the progesterone or you know, the thyroid proteins, you really, your body's immune system doesn't see a whole lot of it unless there's been damage to the thyroid for by another process. 
So it's things like this that normally it doesn't see. So when it sees it, it's like, mm. this is a parasite that I got to deal with. So, okay. So basically it's not, it's, it's the temperature variation that you're reacting to. It's not actually the water because somebody asked me one time, I said, how can you be allergic to water? And I was like, that's a really good question based on our bodies are made up of water or a large portion. Yeah, so external water is the key. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a couple of things. So it could be the temperature, but it could really be the salinity as well. Okay. Or the okay. contents of the water. Right. So really anything that's, um, you know, that your body's just not used to seeing. Well, there's pH levels that vary depending on the body of water that you're in. If you're in lakes or if it's an ocean or lots of different things. Yeah, right? that's algae, right. Algae content, different bacteria in the water for sure. And that could be a possibility uh, too, just to make my job more interesting and complicated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you allergic to the temperature or is it the algae in the water or yeah. the pH levels? Could be the pollens, like, you know, if yeah. sometimes people leave their pool open, like, you know, through a season, they don't go swimming for a while, their filter's not working. Could be a host yeah. of things. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And then there's a whole host of things like swimmer's itch and animals and <laughs> that yeah. add to that problem. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, what about, uh, can you grow out of hives or your carrier? Yeah, so absolutely. And most people do. That's the good news. Okay. And, you know, when people get the diagnosis, most people are not happy. Um, and mm-hmm. I say, you know, just to cheer them up and which is true. Mm-hmm. It's a benign self-limited condition, meaning that it will go away. Right. And usually there's no real damage unless, you know, it affects your uh, you know, psychology or your, your mental state, but really, and once it goes away, um, it generally does not come back. But the bad news is the average duration is about one to seven years. Okay. Wow. Okay. When once it becomes chronic. Yeah. Right. Of course. No, that makes sense. Um, what about, uh, urticaria? Can this lead to anaphylaxis or no? Yeah. So that's much more rare. Okay. So, okay. Thankfully, the vast majority of chronic urticaria patients will never get anaphylactic symptoms. Now, there are, of course, exceptions to this rule. So if you have urticaria in the context of having other problems, and these are more rare problems, but for example, if you have uh, severe asthma and chronic urticaria, or you've got chronic urticaria as a result of a medical condition called systemic mastocytosis, where your mm-hmm. body is just cranking on a lot of these mast cells way more than it should, okay. then yes, it could lead to uh, anaphylaxis. Okay, interesting. And what are some of the, um, I'd say, insects that could lead to urticaria other than mosquitoes? Oh, there's uh, basically anything that invades your skin. Okay, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, all parasites can cause, and rightly so, an urticarial reaction when they mm-hmm. infect, but all long after they've gone away. So, mm-hmm. you know, I know the, it's, it's interesting because like a lot of the other specialties, we talked about the silent approach to medicine, like infectious disease, for example, they don't really tend to read our journals as much, but, you know, and so they're always skeptical when I beg and plead with them to actually treat a parasite that's been detected on a stool culture. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of these, what are called benign parasites that sometimes people can travel and pick up wherever their travel destination is. Uh, mm-hmm. And these are things like, you know, entamoeba or, you know, other sort of benign, quote unquote, parasites. But interestingly, when we treat the parasite with antiparasitics, the hives do usually go away a couple of weeks after. So, you know, it, it's like these parasites are aggravating your gut lining. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you really want to, your body's just saying, there's something going on at our border and you mm-hmm. know, border security is just trying to tell you there's something trying to come through the border. Mm-hmm. It's fighting to yeah, figure out right. what's going, what's happening. Um, okay. So uh, what about Lyme disease from a tick? So you get the bullseye after you get yeah. bitten. Yeah. Okay. Would this be considered a form of urticaria? Oh yeah. So the bullseye rash is different, uh, but it's because of urticaria by definition should not last more than a day. And the right. bullseye lesion uh, is often like not immediate, but a couple of days after and lasts yes. more than uh, more than a day. So, yeah. but it looks urticaria-like if you just took a look mm-hmm. at it and it had no context of the timing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so 
this is a different immune phenomena than what would cause a chronic urticaria kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Lyme disease isn't connected in that, in that way. But, but um, like any, any sort of insect sting or bite, it can be the trigger. So one right. thing we had a problem with in Toronto was, uh, especially in Toronto community uh, public housing, was a lot of people were getting uh, bed bug bites. So you get the characteristic uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, you know, lesion. But even after they'd clear the bed bug, people would often get hives for, you know, months on end after they'd already gotten rid of the bed bug bites because this had just stimulated the immune system to just stay hypervigilant for a while. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen any sort of allergic reaction or urticaria from lice? Because I know that's a problem within schools and children. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, it depends on how, aggressive the uh, infestation is in that particular person mm-hmm. i would so say it would it. probably most likely have to be pretty significant exactly so, yeah exactly yeah. so it would have yeah. to pierce the skin uh, barrier quite a few times mm-hmm. if it does you're you know anything like this could trigger a chronic state of hypervigilance in your body right okay um what uh what other autoimmune diseases would be linked to urticaria so we talked very about good lupus. question so okay. now we know that pretty much all of them Okay. Oh. So every year we are finding these IgE antibodies. So there's only like three labs in the world that run this like super sensitive assay to determine if it's an IgG or an IgE. Okay. So in the context of me doing clinical trials, we send a lot of these uh, blood and serum samples off to to find things out like this. Um, But it's not like routine, common standard of care. But if we do look in the context of a research study, we can generally find the reason why someone has chronic hives in almost everyone. And sometimes people have autoimmune antibodies and allergy antibodies, and they never develop hives. But, you know, this speaks to a more difficult concept of like a bit of a threshold effect. And I explain this to patients as like the zombie apocalypse uh, analogy. So if you have (laughs) a zombie apocalypse, you barricade yourself in. If there's only about five zombies outside, the door stays shut. Of course. But the more you pile on, so the more autoimmune antibodies, uh, or let's say you have alcohol, or you've got, you know, psychological stress, or you've taken a drug like Advil, these are more and more zombies pushing on that wall, and eventually the wall opens. And, you know, really, I'm just explaining the concept of cell depolarization. Enough receptors need to be activated for the cell to actually depolarize, to for the, for the uh, what's called the membrane potential. So, so cells are very simple. Once the, the electrical gradient changes between the outside and the inside of the cell, that's what causes the cell to activate. So if mm-hmm. enough of these little switches get activated, then the cell floods open. Okay, so pretty much all autoimmune diseases. That's right, they can contribute or directly cause. Directly cause or can contribute to the hives. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, what are the treatments that are used to prevent or treat urticaria? So we can't prevent this. Um, and, you know, like human beings, we like to see like one or two things that having a cause and effect thing. But as mm-hmm. I just mentioned, it can be like sometimes multifactorial. Let's say you've been taking Advil for years. You never had a problem. But now you've got, a, you know, some stress to deal with. Or, you know, you went on a, on a bender and had a lot of alcohol. And then you get the hive. So because it's not one factor, it's sometimes very difficult to control. And a lot of autoimmunity, we have no idea what causes this, right? So, you know, is it an infection? Uh, something activates the infection and then your body just has a, you know, aberrant immune response. So something like this can trigger it. So, you know, in terms of preventative care, not a whole lot you can do. You can try to avoiding, uh, you know, bites from insects and mosquitoes with, you know, repellent and things. But in terms of treatment, okay, Right now, the conventional approved treatment, and the whole world agrees on how we should treat this. First step is, you know, a modern antihistamine. Right. And second step, use more antihistamine. <laughs> Generally, you know, the four times the licensed dose. And then the third step <coughs> is um, the medication that's injectable. Uh, and we talked about this on a previous podcast on asthma is omalizumab. And this drug works by removing a lot of the allergy IgE antibodies to effectively removing a lot of the on switches in that zombie apocalypse or light switch model that I talked about, removing some of the zombies to making it less likely to react. So those are steps one, two, and three. 
you know, when we go to step four uh, and five, you know, these, then we get to what are called uh, cytotoxic or cytoreductive medications like cyclosporin, and these are the chemotherapeutics and stuff. Some people will try using things like methotrexate. You know, it's considered mm -hmm. off-label, of course, these treatments, but um, that's kind of what we use. You know, we're um, at our office in Toronto. We do a lot of clinical trials in this area. And um, one of the really interesting trials that we did um, and I, I say super interesting because it was actually my idea. I was the first in the world to publish this was a drug called dupilumab and using this to, uh, you know, not only treat, but to maybe potentially what we call disease modify is change the trajectory of, uh, of the patient so that the duration is not one to seven years, but it's done when the drug is done after six months. Uh, oh. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. We just, uh, we just had this published just two weeks ago. Uh, the long-term consequences of patients who stop this medication. And we, we think it, it is potentially, you know, I can't, you can, you can never use the word cure in medicine because no. cure implies it'll never come back, but we think of it's course. disease modifying in that the patient's on a new trajectory. Almost like remission and hopefully exactly. it just stays that way. Exactly. And we'll know, well, like, you know, so I, I published two year follow-up data. So two years mm -hmm. after people have stopped drug. And it seemed to be pretty good, but uh, we'll see. We're basically seeing if it'll come back at all. Wow, wow that's fascinating. Um, oh, okay. So when when in terms of alcohol, um, and obviously being a toxin, uh, what would be the most common form or alcohol that would trigger a uh, urticarial reaction or hives? Yeah. So um, it could be any alcohol. So, uh, but typically it's things that will change your tonicity quickly. Uh, and it is dose dependent. So the more you drink, the more likely you're going to experience hives from this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not an immediate effect, but it's an effect. Uh, you know, I keep mentioning osmolality and tonicity. It's an effect of dehydration the next day. So if you mm -hmm. haven't kept up with your fluids and your body sort of, you know, the number of stuff that's uh, dissolved in your blood, we call osmolality. If that changes enough, then your body thinks, or this part of the immune system thinks, wait a minute, we must be getting an infection. Mm -hmm. Kind of like when you get an infection, your body tends to get dehydrated mm -hmm. and your body's immune system senses that there's something wrong with you. Um, and, you know, other things like insects and stuff that burrow in our skin, they will often affect the chemistry in that area, that localized area, changing, for example, the amount of stuff in the blood. So then your body can kind of, you know, not listen, but it can, it can sense these things changing. Interesting. What about uh, sunlight or UVB and UVA rays? Can that trigger urticaria? Absolutely. This is more rare, but this is a okay. no inducible cause of hive. Um, more commonly, people get something called a polymorphous light eruption to the sun, which you know kind of looks a bit hivey, but it's not as raised, um, and it's not generally not as itchy. But you can have that, or you can be truly allergic to the sun. We call it solar urticaria. Okay. And how does that happen? We don't know. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry well, for yeah. the difficult question. Yeah, Just because yeah. I mean, sunlight, like yeah. how does one avoid daylight or sunlight so directly? There's theory. Oh yeah. So, you know, obviously avoidance would be to wear clothing and uh, of course, if you have polymorphous light eruption, uh, sometimes uh, sunscreen with high SPF will help uh, okay. or going out at different times of the season of the year. Um, we think, uh, not we, because I had nothing to do with this idea, um, that the UV light can change configuration of some proteins as well in your skin. Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of like how it like UV light can generate vitamin D, like your body does have changes that occur in response to sunlight and that your body must be reacting to something new that occurs as a result of sunlight. So this is, you know, the working theory. It's kind of hard to isolate these proteins in the skin directly. So, mm -hmm. or it's a complex, we call something called haptonization effect uh, that occurs with UV light. So those are the right. theories out there, yeah. And is urticaria or hives only external or can you actually see them internally? Has there been any studies or seen on scans or anything? Where Very cool, cool question. It can occur in any body surface that interfaces with the outside world. So yeah, it is really cool. Um, so a lot of people were in disbelief of this because it's hard because you basically need to have a camera 
yeah. inside your body when this yes. is occurring. And because it doesn't last very long, typically hives can be minutes to hours, always less than a day. It is, unless you have a camera, you know, stuck somewhere in your body, you, you won't see yes. it, right? You won't see it, of course. So, so it's very hard uh, to capture this. Um, so, you know, this was a, another proud achievement of mine. I, I captured this in someone's colon, uh, hives occurring there. And this was in the context of a patient who had that condition, that rare condition called mastocytosis. So we right. published these um, images, uh, beautiful images, throughout the patient's digestive tract getting hives. And wow. Going. So it's, it's kind of neat, it, but it can occur everywhere. It can. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, yeah, uh, the surface. Interesting. Um, plants. What kind of plants would cause hives or urticaria? Anything, potentially. So mm -hmm. uh, if you're allergic to anything, uh, let's say even your cat, mm -hmm. okay, cat or plants, uh, mm -hmm. If you're allergic to a part of the plant that you're allergic to and you rub on your skin, mm -hmm. uh, you can get something called contact urticaria. Mm -hmm. So it's basically like a contact. It's a, it's a true contact allergy. Um, mm -hmm. where, and people report this all the time. And I rub my hamster or, or cat or whatever on my skin. I tend to break out in hives. And yeah, this can occur. Mm -hmm. I think my, my youngest actually has a sensitivity to cats. And oh, cool. she had a kitten and she broke out in house oh, cool. under her chin and her neck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that can happen. And, and it's interesting because this part of the curriculum, um, even in my field, when people mm -hmm. do, you know, generally you need to study two additional years to become a specialist in allergy. Um, mm -hmm. This field, the knowledge is exploding. It's literally changing and we're learning so much more every single year. So when I was going through mm -hmm. training, even people would teach me that that's impossible to contact, contact urticaria. Mm -hmm. It's obviously possible and it, it is well established now. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So plants, animals, really anything ex external, right? A anything you're allergic to. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. People with eczema are more likely to get contact urticaria because, you know, they don't have the strong barrier that we talked about in episode one. Of, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense. Okay. So if, is there anything about urticaria that is rare or that, that most people wouldn't know? Like you talked about, um, a UTI can cause hives, like an infection or some sort of stir uh, up in the immune system. Any infection. Yeah. At the yeah. Interface, yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there anything in particular that you want to add <clears throat> that most people on average, you know, general public speaking, um, would, uh, be sort of it would be mind boggling to think about or be like, whoa, that's crazy. Well, I think the most thing, uh, you know, I want to take a more positive uh, look here. <laughs> People freak out when they get hives. They assume right. that they're having an allergic reaction. Um, but when you're having chronic urticaria or when you're having urticaria, even every day for weeks on end, that's just not over the six week threshold. Mm -hmm. If it's occurring that frequently, it is probably you know, not going to lead to anaphylaxis. Right. Okay. And because by virtue, I just said, it's so common, the acute and chronic is really common too, about one in 50 people for roughly 2% of people will experience chronic urticaria at some point in their life. <clears throat> because it's so common, imagine if this were an actual life-threatening problem. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would be dead, but thankfully it's not. So the most important thing and the most positive thing is to not freak out because right. I just mentioned stress makes it worse. Of course. And, and it will actually make it worse. Um, and, you know, sleeping well, we know is now a factor as well. So if you're constantly having disrupted sleep or not sleeping well, this can affect the hives as well. Mm -hmm. So poor sleep hygiene leads to more hives. Mm -hmm. So you really have to kind of regulate your sleep, your stress level, uh, to get a good handle on this. Right. It's like a vicious cycle. It's kind of a, like a domino effect. One yeah, thing just leads to another. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess why I should also mention angioedema. So this is when you have the same cells, the mast cells, causing a lot of swelling in tissues where there's a lot of nerves and blood vessels. About 40% of people who get the chronic urticaria will get angioedema too. Mm -hmm. cause like lip swelling, like big like as if you've had a bad lip injection but you know only thankfully like a day 
or eye swelling, swollen shut, like in the context of an allergic reaction. Yes. Other people, it's their fingers, their toes, often the bottoms of the feet get swollen. And, you know, unless you ask about it, people may not tell you because they're embarrassed, but their genital areas as well. Uh So, you know, uh, all parts of the female and male genitalia can get angioedema. Swell. I read that actually. I was going to ask you about the angioedema because it is connected or there is a, there is a link or a correlation between the two. And, you know, this is where we, anywhere in our body where we have a ton of nerves and a lot of blood vessels, Mm -hmm. that's where we tend to get the angioedema. And when you get the angioedema in the context of hives, you also have to remember this is not a life or death situation. Sometimes it feels like it and you start freaking out. But vast majority do not lead to airway compromise. Okay. Well, that's good. So not anaphylaxis. Basically, mm-hmm. it's not. Okay. What's the most severe case you've ever um, witnessed or seen? Whew. So, you know, I've seen a lot of severe cases. And, you know, just to not break confidentiality. Oh, of course. Yes. Of any patient. But, you know, many of my patients have actually had hives for more than a decade, sometimes even to, uh, two decades. And, and it's quite debilitating for the life. And, mm. you know, we um, used to put these patients on chemotherapy, but long-term use of chemotherapeutic agents like cyclosporin, <clears throat> they have a lot of like downsides. And then mm. patients go through rounds and rounds of prednisone. And it's really hard to justify prednisone use repeatedly for what amounts to a benign condition. Yes. Uh, you know, so... You know, I understand that quality of life is affected. And sometimes people really, really twist my arm to give me that prednisone prescription. But, mm. you know, I, I always try to remind them, you know, you're going to be happy for a, a temporary period of time, but the hives mm-hmm. will come back. And you're not going to be happy with me 20 years later when you have a vertebral fracture. Um, yes. From medication. So from the medication. <clears throat> yeah. So, so basically the long-term use of the medication doesn't outweigh the temporary situation of highs basically saying that they only last for a day absolutely but you'd, you'd be surprised how many patients uh especially patients who've seen um you know some of the uh more you know uh elderly you know specialists in my field they're on prednisone every day for like years on end for this condition mm-hmm. and yeah. you know they really do have a lot of better options these days to try to control this Right. Methotrexate was another one you, we were talking about. I know we talked about yeah. that in the last session. Yeah. And, and I, I, and I, and as you know, I, I hate using medications like this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I come from a bit of a privileged province in Ontario and, and in the world, frankly, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, the biologic medication, omalizumab, I can prescribe and use it for anyone, irrespective of their insurance, because the Ontario government actually pays for it if you have chronic urticaria. Oh, okay. um, yeah, it's interesting because it, it was really from, uh, patient advocates that you know kind of uh really advocated that this was so debilitating for the quality of life so the health minister uh, added it to the list of exceptional access medications in quebec it's uh, very uh you know user-friendly to access for physicians as well uh but uh you know where you are in the west coast um the government is not so uh, generous with uh, medications like this for quality of life. No, they definitely aren't. And in, in a lot of cases for <laughs> depending yeah. on what your issue is. Yeah, we digress, um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about, what about children? Cause you said that, you know, a large percentage do grow out of a year to uh, carry So what about children and versus adults? Like, do you see more cases in kids than you do um, adults? This is strange. Uh, but in kids, you actually see less chronic urticaria than adults. Oh. So the peak age of diagnosis, and this is why a lot of people have a hard time um, wrapping their head around it, is usually in your 30s to 40s. Okay. So, okay. and um, it does have a huge female predilection. Okay. So, about mm-hmm. two to three times more women, and in some cases, four times in some studies, women are much more likely to get chronic urticaria than men. Interesting. Is that clearly based on female hormones? It could be. Uh, I think that's a big part of it, but it's also uh, women, um, you know, you know, because by virtue of having to have children, you actually have a more sophisticated and complex immune system than a man. So Mm -hmm. in the Y chromosome, we're missing quite a few immune genes, actually, if uh, a lot of people don't realize this. 
Um, oh, interesting. You know that sign, the man cold? Yes. It's true. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I do. I hear it all the time. Men do actually get more um, affected by infections in general. We have poor outcomes mm -hmm. for you know, complications of infections, like for example, meningitis, mm -hmm. sepsis, and our immune system is actually not as robust as a woman's immune system. And the woman's mm -hmm. immune system, I imagine, is more sophisticated because it needs mm -hmm. to essentially shut off certain parts during pregnancy as well, because yeah. the baby is 50% different from you. All the stuff floating yeah. in the baby is very different from you, yeah. yet you need to not attack it. So it has it's seen as an invader. Yeah, yeah, your body looks at it like an invader. And if you're the, the, something to the blood type, you'll have to get a shot in the beginning yeah. of your pregnancy. If they That's right. Then you're, yeah. But our, like, you know, our, obviously most babies, you know, do make it uh, mm -hmm. alive without the mother's immune system attacking it. So it has more regulatory elements, but just like any machine where whenever you add complexity, more mm -hmm. things can go wrong. So women are in general are more prone to autoimmunity mm -hmm. and because, you know, again, I just told you that a lot of chronic urticaria is autoimmune, mm -hmm. thereby you're more uh, prone to auto, of, autoimmune. Of course. Heart. And yeah, absolutely. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I guess our immune systems are slightly, uh, is more sensitive. And yeah, it, it, yeah. it's actually better. Um, I want to say, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the fair sex here in this case, <laughs> you know, pardon <laughs> my history, uh, no, term, but right. you, you actually have more immune genes uh, because you have two X chromosomes. Interesting. Does that kind of come down to like your senses too? I think women have more acute senses for childbearing reasons. You're hearing your smell, taste. I read, I was reading yeah. some studies on it, but you're during pregnancy. It's why everything's heightened. Your sense of smell, your sense of taste. The color, color discrimination is better in women as well for vision. There's your yeah. advantage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that is that. Is, yeah. That's very interesting. So women are more prone to chronic urticaria than men are huh that's so, right and you see it more in adults than you do children interesting that's for the chronic no not the um acute, acute yeah yeah kids, kids yeah. are more prone to acute acute because uh, yeah. they have just stronger immune systems in general so mm -hmm. for example a lot of children will get general hives so their whole body will break mm -hmm. out into hives after an insect sting or bite uh and then everyone freaks out because they assume it's anaphylaxis sometimes right. it is though, so you got to be careful Right. But a lot of times, uh, you know, it doesn't actually pretend that they're going to have anaphylaxis the next time. Right. Whereas in adults, you know, usually if you break out into hives and you've only been stung one part in your arm, that is mm -hmm. anaphylaxis uh, or yeah. Or, yeah. And and do you think the stress? Um, that's an interesting point. Like chronic stress or chronic anxiety or even some mental health or conditions, right? That could exacerbate, uh, you know. Um, chronic urticaria versus acute kids don't have chronic stress the way adults they probably don't it's a happy uh most most children i like to think at least um yes are happy go lucky yeah happy i can't get that candy and it's like the end of the world but it's really not the end of the world yeah, or, you know they're worrying about homework or you yeah. know, whatever girlfriend they're dating for two days like you yeah, know. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 100 percent. but yeah. that would be an interesting because when you look at what we're talking about the immune you know your response to stress and how it just makes it worse and it's just a precursor absolutely so. absolutely and uh you know we um yeah i think a lot of people have been stressed and during this pandemic um and all of these things do really predispose you to sort of these physical manifestations of so, course you know, and have, have you one. seen more cases since covid i was just that's a that's yeah, absolutely one. because i think uh covid has infected so many people and a lot of other viruses have infected so many people during these pandemic waves uh we've seen uh you know, quite an uptick in uh, urticaria consults. Um, mm. And I think, uh, I think stress in general and sometimes the coping mechanisms. Here's, here's one for you, Bree, that you may not uh, uh, be aware of. Marijuana and chronic use of marijuana causes hives as well. So oh, interesting. Yeah, these cells have cannabinoid receptors and um, people, you know, always don't believe me, but then their hives usually go away once you stop uh, smoking the marijuana or, or reduce significantly. Interesting. So the cannabidiol that's in the marijuana obviously yes, affects. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What about, what about something that contains high levels of beta carophylline? Would that counteract? Um, or I don't be think good anyone actually looked at that actually. Um, oh, okay. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, because cannabis, no. if you look at cannabis or no. you look at anything that's got that like cannabidiol or and then the endocannabinoid system in the body, if you look at beta carophylline, it's what you look at when it comes to the inflammation um, mm. for pain, anxiety, sleep can really benefit, right? Because it works think, on your, I think your CB2 receptor. Yeah. So I think this is where people kind of get the idea that uh, it can help for hives because I see this written on Facebook forums and all sorts of forms, but uh, <laughs> yeah. almost reproducibly usually makes things worse, but okay. so there must be like an effect of one receptor being more activated than the other. And again, you know, I think um, for medical researchers prior to like four years ago, it was very hard to study this kind of stuff because right. you know, prior to it being legal, legal, um, yeah, you know, you, to do a study, um, at least in Canada, and I'm, sh- I'm sure in the US, it was very difficult too. You have to apply for a federal exemption and all sorts of, you know, Health Canada regulations to even get your hands on it. So yes, it's, it's quite a bit of a process. Yeah. Well, there's also a lot of fluff on the market, right? Like everything CBD, CBD, CBD. Yeah, and everybody yeah. thinks it's going to magically solve all of your medical problems when <laughs> exactly. it's just a bunch exactly. of marketing really at the end of the day, because yeah. if it doesn't have the proper components or it's still a plant, right? So you're reacting with there's THC mm. that they have to, you can't completely get rid of in CBD products either. So it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating, Jason. That's awesome. Unless you want to add anything, I, that's all I have in the way of questions. Yeah. I think, um, you know, given the theme of this uh, season, you know, there is a big breakthrough happening right now. Uh, there's a lot of drugs and clinical trial development for chronic urticaria. So mm-hmm. the most interesting and, and the biggest contribution I've made to this field is to have people think of this as a type two inflammatory condition, because believe it or not, everyone was essentially, you know, under the belief that this was a type one inflammatory condition. And we talked about that on mm-hmm. our prior episode as well. Mm-hmm. And people thought this behaved more like rheumatoid arthritis. And they thought, well, we already have a type two condition in the skin. We have eczema, atopic mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, the, the conceptual breakthrough, I think here is that this is just a different manifestation of type two in the skin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that we have big studies, so, you know, what directly led from my study was a, a global randomized control trial that I also participated in. Uh, we're looking at, can we use this drug, which is really a type two inflammatory blocking drug. Mm-hmm. Can we treat these patients? So those results are actually positive. It does actually treat hives just as effectively as uh, omalizumab, the other already approved one, which is a pure type two block uh, kind of agent. So yeah, and the more interesting thing is the research that I just published, and that's probably gonna be shown in the bigger randomized control trials that are ongoing, is that this may actually set your body on a new path if we shut down the cell trafficking so the cells these cells getting into the skin and if we affect the signals that are probably affecting things at the bone marrow level to kind of set the conditions up for this condition so i think we've had a few breakthroughs and the future is pretty pretty bright for patients who've been suffering for this condition oh wow well that's amazing so it sounds like these drugs that you're just getting your hands on now for type 2 inflammation or secondary inflammation and and it's a big big conceptual leap for um i think physicians and researchers to visualize and think of this in in a type 2 context because it really is when when you really understand the signals that are being miscued and misplayed Mm -hmm. it's all the type 2 signals and not the type 1 even in acute cases versus chronic cases. Even in acute cases, yeah. And it's just okay. over, so, you know, quick activation of this side. Right. And body just being in hypervigilance. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, that's fascinating. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Thanks, Bree. Yeah. And uh, no problem. Good night. Yeah, you too. Thanks very much, Jason. <laughs>